all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. All about the Savior and the promise of His Word. It's all about Jesus. Welcome to It's All About Jesus, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Eagle. You are listening to a Sunday morning message by Pastor Mike Sasso. If you would like to join us for church, we meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle, Idaho. You may also join us live streaming at that time. Go to cceagle.org at 10 a.m. to watch the whole service live. If you can't join us then, you can always go back and watch the video. Let's listen in to today's message. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the Lord. I have awesome to hope for those who believe in Jesus right now. And only those who believe in Jesus will be saved. And and, and the, the day to embrace the gift of salvation as you read the scriptures is always today. Right? It's never yesterday, uh, and, and I did it yesterday, but I don't do it today. Beware of interpreting the Bible to fit your theology. Let the Bible change your theology. Let me just tell you that. That's been my experience. It's funny because long before I uh, knew who Calvin or Arminius was, Arminius, that's names of our dogs, uh, true. Uh, but long before I ever heard of those theologians, I had discovered these doctrines and had studied them and see what the Bible says. And I wasn't influenced by what well, Kelvin says, where Arminius says, where Augustine says. I have, Early in life, I came up with my understanding the scriptures by understanding the scriptures, not by understanding how the theologians interpret the scriptures, because theologians can be wrong. Okay? And commentators, remember what I told you about commentators? What commentators are, they're just commentators. Okay? And I had one theologian friend of mine tell me that experts are former drips under pressure. Experts. Anyway, that's a whole other way. But see, even theologians could be guilty of interpreting Scripture to fit their theology. And I've read a lot of theology books on this. I've read a lot of word studies. And it's amazing. There are people who are Greek word experts, Greek experts, Greek theologians. And, and there's Robertsons, and there's Wiest, and there's Vines, and all this. And, and it, you know what? Even though they, you could look at all the different terms describing the people who've done this in Hebrews 6, they will interpret those Greek words, enlightened, tasted a heavenly gift, partakers of the good word of God. They'll interpret it, give you the Greek meaning, and then they'll spin off in the direction whatever fits their theology. Even the experts do it, guys. So beware of coming to your final conclusion by listening to your favorite theologian, your favorite Bible teacher, or even, even the notes in your study Bible. That's why my Bible doesn't have any notes. <clears throat> when I want to use the notes, they're in my tablet and my laptop and all that, and even on my phone. But I want to read my Bible without anybody else's notes. Because what happens is when you have somebody else's notes in your Bible, some other Dake's mistakes or Ryrie's study, but with all these different, whatever that is in there, you tend to put those notes on the same level of authority as the Word itself. It's not. 
Sometimes it contradicts. Their explanation will contradict what the Bible says. Read your Bible, not just the commentary. Spend, don't, spend more time in the Word than doing any commentary. Okay, now, <clears throat> I told you I'm laying a foundation. <clears throat> but can I tell you, I really believe this all comes down to our presuppositions. Quite often, when theologians all disagree with one another, is because theologians each have their own presupposition, and they've each got a case to build. And I'm a Calvinist, I'm an Arminianist, I'm a Universalist, I'm whatever. And they will twist it to fit their presupposition. If you believe it's possible for a Christian to turn away from faith in Christ, then you're going to take these verses exactly literal. If you believe that it's impossible for a true Christian ever to fall away or to reject Christ, then you're going to find another way to interpret it. Because I don't believe that. Some of you guys aren't coming back next week. <clears throat> you know what? I'm just so done with worrying about that. God's called me to teach the truth and to teach the truth in love. And I'm committed to do that, guys. Okay? Now, uh, and so this presuppositional problem is why there's so many differing opinions. Because everyone's got their points of what they want the Bible to fit into. And if it doesn't fit into these five points or these three points, or the, this is my theology, my favorite theology, and if, if what this verse doesn't, is saying doesn't fit in, you'll find a different way to interpret it. I think I've said that enough. You get it. But I'm going to teach you the truth, and here's your next fill-in. Okay? Your next fill-in is the challenge. We need to let the Scriptures shape our beliefs. Amen. Let me just say it again. We need to let the Scriptures shape our beliefs rather than shape the Scriptures to support our beliefs. Huh? If a passage of Scripture refutes your beliefs, adjust your beliefs. I'm not just saying throw away everything, but sometimes, there's many times, even as I'm teaching through the Bible, since I've been a pastor, there's been times, I always believe this verse meant that, and I get to it, and I'm studying it to teach it on Sunday morning, and I have to adjust my belief. I used to believe this verse meant that, but you know what, as I look at it more carefully, I think I'm changing my, I'm going to adjust my beliefs to fit what the scriptures really say. Let the Bible drive your life. Let the Bible drive your beliefs. Listen, it's funny because even one of my favorite preachers that I quote a lot is Spurgeon. Now he's kind of a half Calvinist. And actually some will say he's wholehearted Calvinist. But listen to what he says about this text. We come to this passage ourselves with the intention to read it with the simplicity of a child. And whatever we find therein to, to state it. And if it may not seem to agree with something that we've hitherto held... And we've prepared to cast away, we are prepared to cast away every doctrine of our own rather than one passage of the Scripture. Thank you, Charles Spurgeon. Matter of fact, later, it probably have to be next week at the rate we're going here, Spurgeon said, some, is, some have called me a Calvinist Arminian and others other have called me Arminian Calvinist, but I'm telling you something, I can't remember exactly how it puts it, he wrestles with teaching the Word of God for what it says not to fit his theology. I, I appreciate that, okay? So here's a rule. The Bible means what it says, says what it means. The clearest sense of interpretation is always the preferred meaning. If the Bible clearly says something, go with that. Don't go, well, it can't really mean what it seems to be meaning, you know? Uh, I'll tell you something. As, I'm, as I've studied Hebrews 6, chapter 4, uh, chapter 6, verse 4 through 6, 
So many commentaries, and I've read a lot, start out by saying, on the surface, this text seems to say that a Christian can ultimately reject Christ. But you know, you can also just as easily say, on the surface, it seems like John 3.16 says that if you believe in Jesus, you can have your sins forgiven and be saved. Yeah, on the surface, because that's what it says. Okay? Now, years ago I wrote this um, explanation of how so many people will twist John 3.16 depending on what their theology is. And I just want to share it with you. Because on the surface, it says what it means, it means what it says. Okay? John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Have you heard that before? That's what it says. A universalist would read it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that everyone will be saved and have everlasting life no matter who they are or what they believe or how they live. That's what a universalist believes. A legalist would say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him and keepeth all the rules perfectly should not perish but have everlasting life. It's about the keeping the rules. John 3.16, the cultist. The cultist would say, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believeth in him and belongeth to our one true church and remaineth in good standing with God and the church by keeping all the laws and ordinances of our one through true church should not perish but have everlasting life. Maybe. <laughs> That's a cultist. The word faith, positive confession. For God so loved me that he gave everything for me so that I can have everything I want in this life and if I believe this to be true, I can claim his promise to bless me. Oh, in heaven too. Do you see how whatever you believe you read into a verse that clearly says one thing and you could read everything you want into it? Our Calvinist friends might read it like this. For God so loved the few that he gave his only begotten son so that a small elect number of people he chose to be saved will not perish but have everlasting life whether they seek it out or not because of course they can't seek it out due to their total depravity so God had to draw them to be saved contrary to the desires of their heart. John 3.16 It all depends on what your presupposition is and how you'll take a simple truth of Scripture and go, yeah, on the surface it seems to mean this. But in reality, and you expand it and contract it and contort it and twist it. But the biblical truth is, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And that's the biblical truth, okay? So do you, I, th why do I take the time to do for that detour? Because I want you to see, depending on your presuppositions, your, or as one of my friends says, your paradigm, whatever you already believe, you're going to find a verse as clear as John 3.16 and you're going to make it fit your paradigm, your presupposition. Here's your next fill-in. The bottom line up front truth for Hebrews 6, it's all about faith, not performance. Okay? Now next week we'll get into this, but I want you to know it's not about your performance. It's not about sin. It's not about your performance. It's, not a, it's about faith, not about performance. Let me read on in our fill-in. You cannot lose through lack of performance 
what you did not attain through performance. You get it? You didn't get saved by jumping through the right hoops. You didn't get saved by performance. You cannot lose by lack of performance what you never attained through performance in the first place. So for those of you who think, oh no, he's a legalist. He's going to make it a works thing. He's going to make me have to try to work my way into heaven. Or he's going to make it about, if I, if I sin, I'm going to hell. No. It's always about faith. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It's always about faith. And if you, you think, excuse me, So here's the thing. If you're trusting in Christ for salvation, you're saved. If you reject Christ, you're lost. Faith is the key. Faith in Christ is the key. We're saved by God's grace through faith. Okay, by the way, it's God's grace and it's our faith. It's, it, it, there's a combination, there's a partnership here. No faith in Christ, no salvation. The security of the believer is clearly taught in Scripture. Can I tell you that? Listen to one of my favorite memory verses from years ago, John 5, 24. Most assuredly I say to you, or in the King James says, Truly, truly I say to you, he who hears my words and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death the life. John 5, 24. That was one of my memory verses when I was struggling through all this and I would preach to myself. I go, you shall not come into judgment, but you've already passed from death into life. Hallelujah, Jesus. I'd be working at the print shop and I have my memory cards I keep in my pocket here. John 5, 24. And I'd be saying it out loud. Of course, the, the presses were running so loud. Most people couldn't hear me, but they could see my lips moving and they thought I was crazy. He who hears my words and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life. And I'm scrubbing away and I'm doing things. And, and shall not come into judgment. I'm doing work over here. But it has passed from death into life. Hallelujah. And they go, that guy is totally nuts. I tell you what, one of the best things you could do is start memorizing the scriptures. Find the verses that really minister to you. And of course, know the context of that verse. But memorizing the scriptures. The security of the believer is clearly taught in scripture with verses like this and many more which we'll go over and the small groups will go over plenty as well. Uh, and, but there's no security promised in scripture to those who reject Christ even if they once professed him. And that's the big issue. That's what Hebrews ta- uh, 6 is talking about. There's no security in Christ for somebody who is not in Christ who, re- who rejects Christ or these. They used to profess Christ. Oh, he went forward one time. Oh, he said a prayer one time. He, I know he got saved because I saw him pray the prayer and now he's living like hell and he says he doesn't believe in Jesus. You can't have, you can't have assurance for someone like that. I've heard it too many times where people go, oh, but my son or my grandson or my daughter or somebody they love that they don't want to believe it's as bad as it could be. Oh, I know they're saved because they said a prayer. I know they're saved because they, they got saved once and now everything in their life is saying it ain't so. They're not saved, okay? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you desire salvation through him, you've got nothing to worry about with Hebrews 6. And, and, and we'll see that as we continue to go on. But the question arises whether the people described in Hebrews 6 were ever really saved or not. I understand that. That's the question. Well, that's why we need to make at least a two-parter with this. Uh, but everyone agrees that a person who rejects Christ has no promise of salvation. Okay? 
again, let me use those theological terms. Our Calvinist friends would say, they said they were saved, and now they're antichrist, they're atheists, and they're they were never really saved. Okay? An Armenian would say, oh, they were saved once, but they lost their salvation. But nobody would say they're saved. Nobody, either side of professional theologians, would say somebody who's rejecting Christ and living in sin and renouncing Christ is in a safe place. If that's you, okay, Hebrews 6 is for you. Okay? But if that's not you, Hebrews 6 isn't for you. Now, before diving deep into the meaning of each phrase, which we're going to do next week, I want to back up a bit, and I want to find the balance of an example of how there could be warnings in Scripture and promises, and they're both true, okay? Remember I explained to you how you could find that don't reject either one. Don't say, well, that can't mean what it says because this means over there. What it says. It's, they're both true. All Scripture is true. It's our concepts and our interpretations which are often false. Our assignment is to find a solution where seemingly conflicting texts are both correct. Okay? I told you last week that it, it, there's a tension between over here this text and over here these texts. And, and the truth is played on the chord. And if you know about music, if you're a guitarist or a, or a pianist or anything with a stringed instrument, the, the, the music, the beautiful music is played on this tension in between, in between two Resisting opposition post, okay? So we want to play the song of salvation. We want to get it right. So we'll look at a few examples. As a matter of fact, I'm looking at the clock. We'll probably just be able to look at two today, uh, if that, okay? We don't have communion or anything else, so we, we'll take some time to look at at least one or two of these verses. And one of the greatest assurance verses that I love and everybody loves when you talk about the security of a believer, they'll always go to John 10, right? And so I want to show you what that says and what it doesn't say. What some people go, oh, I love John 10. I do too. What does it say? What does it not say? John 10, 27. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and neither shall anyone snatch them out of my Father's hand. It goes on to say, which I didn't put it in here, because I can only put so much on a slide, uh, that that none could take them out of my father's hand. My father is greater than I. So it's security of the believer, right? The security of this Jesus' sheep. But I want you to see something. My sheep hear my voice. My sheep, I know them, and they follow me. What I want you to understand is, no matter how much you want to claim the assurance verses, if, you're not, if you know somebody who's not listening to Jesus' voice and not following him, maybe they're not his sheep. Maybe they're not in a good place. Be careful how you apply these verses. So many times we go, oh yeah, he's saved because he's one of his sheep. And Jesus says, nobody could pluck the sheep out of his hands and they'll never perish and I give them eternal life. And, but they're not hearing his voice. And they're not following him. That, you want to know what Jesus' sheep look like? They hear his voice. They follow him. Amen. If you're not listening to the voice of Jesus and you're not following him, you can't claim to be his sheep. You can't claim the assurance. Okay? Anyway, you think, well, you're always finding the negative. I'm looking at the truth of the, the whole verse and the misunderstandings that people like to run off and just look at the, they just want to look at the sweet by and by promises and not go, there's also conditions. When you read 
promises, when you read warnings in the verses, look for conditions. The conditions here, they hear my voice, they follow me. In your small groups, you're going to have fun with this. I'm giving you a bunch of verses. And I'm telling you, look for the conditions. They hear my voice, and they follow me. By the way, this verse, it is true. It is to be embraced. It is an assurance verse. I'm not trying to make it stink, but I'm, I'm making it clear. What does it say and what doesn't it say, okay? What is Jesus saying? Now, one more, and then we're going to close. I see our time is about up. In 1 John 5, verse 11 through 13, another one on my memory verses. I'll have to read it from the New King James because I haven't memorized in the King James. This is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. This life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. And these things I write to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you might know that you have eternal life and that you might continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Now, are there conditions here? I think so. I don't see any conditions. It's just a done deal. Well, the conditions are that you have the Son... And, and that you continue to believe. Where's that? Well, believe and continue to believe. Okay, there were that last verse I at least found too. You could put it back up there. There's two, ver- two, there's two conditions. Believe, continue to believe. There's no promises for people who used to believe. Okay? I'm just telling you, that's what Hebrews 6 is about. You can, you can have all the assurance you want if you believe in Jesus Christ and you continue to believe in Him. You're in a good place. But I can't give any assurance to somebody who says, I used to be a Christian and they didn't continue to believe. Something's wrong. Either they never really were saved or they were saved and lost it, however everybody wants to take it, but they're not in a safe place. Okay? I want you to understand that. There's conditions. Now, next week, because I see I put way too many notes. It's funny. You know, on my notes, I put them on, on point eighteen Palantino so I could look at them from afar. But I still, I got 11 pages. Yeah, well, because it's big type, double-spaced in most places. But I'm stopping on page 8. So next week, we're going to look at, matter of fact, this fits good because I wanted to call today's message assurance, uh, the assurance for the believer or the security of the believer. And I want to talk next week about the insecurity of the unbeliever. The warnings or the danger of the apostate. So we'll look at that because that gets into the meat of the text as well as look at some of the warning verses, okay? I see we're out of time and some of you guys really want to leave anyway by now. And so, Father, we just come before you. And Lord, I admit, this is, this is difficult text for many and it's troubling text for many. But Lord, help us to never be afraid of your word. Help us never to be troubled by your word. Lord, when we need to repent, Lord, may we be a repentant people. We need, when we need to just turn and believe, Lord, help, may we be a people of faith. And so, Lord, I want to lift up to you, my brothers and sisters here this morning, as well as those who may be watching online, live streaming, or maybe some who will watch later uh, through the recording. Lord, may we search our hearts and just be right with you that we might, those who need to find assurance will find assurance and understand, oh, if I confess my sins, you're faithful and just. 
So Lord, right now I just want to lift up to you those people, Christians who've been troubled by this passage, thinking that they've lost their salvation and it's a lie of the devil. Lord, Christians who've been believing maybe they're on the edge and they're in danger, Lord, help them to just come to you now by confessing their sins. There is hope for the repentant right now if there's something standing between you and God. If there's anything in your life that you could say, oh, I need to get right with God, I want to get right with God, then he's got his arms open to you and he's saying, come. For all who come to me, I will no wise cast off. And if you just confess your sins, he will forgive you your sins. Now, I want to pray for you in a moment, but is there anybody here who'd say, Pastor Mike, pray for me? Because... I'm, I'm away from the Lord. I want to get right. I want to get back with the Lord. Would you just lift your hand up so I know who you are so I can pray for you. God bless you. Anyone else who would say, Pastor Mike, God bless you. God bless you. Who would say, pray for me. I, I need to get something right with God. Would you pray for me? Anyone else? There's three, four. Anyone else? God bless. I see that hand. Okay. Father, you know. You know who these people are behind each hand. You know what they struggle with. You know what they wrestle with. Their fears, their temptations. Lord, hear their cry right now. And I'm just asking if I'm praying for you and you raised your hand, would you just confess your sin to the Lord? I'm not asking you to say anything out loud to anybody around you, but would you just say to Jesus, forgive me of my sin and name your sin. Forgive me of my sin and name your sin. Because if you confess your sin, the Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, He is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you. Confess your sin right now and God is faithful. Even when you have not been, He remains faithful. Hear our cry, Lord God. Father, I pray for these and even those online who maybe I couldn't see a hand or a heart, but you see it all, Lord. And I pray that you'd show your mercy, show your grace. Draw us near, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being a forgiving God. Thank you, Lord, that even though you're a God of justice, you made a way through the cross of Christ where the price was paid where we could be forgiven of our sins. Lord, help us, Lord, to always be a people who are ready to confess sin and forsake sin, that we be a repentant people. Believers, not ex-believers, not former Christians, but believers who live and act and talk. We hope you enjoyed today's program. You can find all of Pastor Mike's messages and any other information you would like about Calvary Chapel Eagle online at cceagle.org. In iTunes, you can subscribe to the podcast Calvary Chapel Eagle Sunday morning. If you are new to the area and don't already have a home church, we would love for you to come check us out. We meet every Sunday, 10 a.m. at North Star Charter School, 839 North Linder Road in Eagle. That is one block north of Highway 44. You can call or text the church phone at 208-891-2635. Once again, you can get any information you need at cceagle.org. There you will also find a link to join our Facebook page. So until next time, remember, it's all about Jesus. Yeah, the power of His name.